this morning, I, uh, I, I bring this up here. So I, this, earlier this summer, I got really excited. Apple released their beta program for iPad OS. Basically, they're trying to make it to where your iPad can essentially replace your computer, desktop or laptop or whatever it is you use. And so I was uh, one of the first people to jump on board with that. I'm like, yes, that's great. I can use my iPad more like a computer. And then I go to open my notes app this morning to download it from my computer, and then it keeps crashing. And this is like 10 minutes before I come up, or, or 10 minutes before service starts. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go paper if my other one doesn't work out or I can't read it. So uh, if you see me flipping through this and, and kind of stopping for a little bit, you'll know why. Uh, so this summer has been really exciting for us. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that this summer is almost over. Uh, not, not because I, I feel like I've had a bad summer, but because this summer has just been incredibly overwhelming with just the, the amount of first Victoria and I and Theo have got to experience. Uh, the first one I wanted to share with y'all is I uh, flew in a tiny, tiny plane from El Dorado for the first time in my life. I've flown many, many times, but um, I've never flown in something like this. I, I got a picture up here on the screen. Uh, so El Dorado, they've got, there's an airline that flies from El Dorado to all these different places. Dallas is one of them. And a lot of y'all know Victoria's family's from Texas. And so uh, on Father's Day, she and Theo had to go to Dallas to stay with their family for a training she had in Arlington. Um, a lot of y'all know she started a teaching job in Hermitage as a science teacher, and she's teaching an AP class. And so she had to go uh, there and, and take a week's worth of classes with them. Uh, in order to be certified or something like that. I don't know how that, how that works. But anyways, I was like, well, I don't want to not spend time with you guys. So I rode with them to Texas and hung out with them. And on Monday, I was like, okay, I'll spend $40 to get on this plane. And my father-in-law joked, because he's the one who told us about it. And he was like, yeah, I bet it's one of those planes you got to get out and spin the propeller yourself and everything. And I was like, ha, 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 you're, you're funny. And uh, we were driving to the air, airport. And you don't drive to the airport. You drive to this little shack of a building that's to the side of the airport. And I, I see this, a plane just like this go across this bridge. I told Victoria, <laughs> I'm not flying in that. There's no way that's what it is. And like I get there and, and, and I got there early, you know, like you normally do at an airport. And they said, okay, well, you didn't really have to be here till about 30 minutes before. I was like, what? 30 minutes? What about security? What about all this other stuff? And the guy said, yeah, there's no security. You just walk on the plane. I was like, great, that's great. And then uh, the, the plane lands, and it's this thing, and I was like, and I'm going to die today. Like, I, I called Victoria, and I was like, I love you. I just want you to know this is what I'm flying on. And, and uh, my mom was worried, too, and so I was like, I'll wait to sit near this picture till I land. And so I get on the plane, and this is where I'm sitting. This is how small the plane is and how close I am to the pilot. I could go and, and, and poke his shoulder if I wanted to, and like play pranks on them if I wanted to. It was terrifying. Like there was no security thing. You just walk on with your stuff. And I think the scariest part was they were like, okay, well, I need you to step on this. We're going to get your weight. We're going to get you the weight of your bag. And he saw my weight. He's like, okay, we're going to put you on the right side of the plane to keep it balanced. And I was like, oh, great. That's great. And this is the safety briefing. The pilot turns around, this guy who's got his head down, reading how to turn on the plane because he gets his binder out and goes through this checklist. And then he says, all right, y'all know how to read. There's a pamphlet in the back and the fire extinguisher's right here if you need it. Okay, let's go. And, and then we take off and it's really windy in Dallas and like our plane starts to go and then you hear, and the wind goes and moves the plane to the left a little bit. And I'm, y'all, I'm telling you, I, I thought I was gonna die. And I thought I was, I was gonna die when we got into the clouds. It was really, really pretty, but 
the turbulence you experience, I mean, I experienced weightlessness. I, I felt like I was on a Six Flags ride. It was bad. Like, because it was just like this the entire time. And I, I, I told myself, I'm never getting on this again. And so I got on it again Thursday that week, and it was not near as bad. But uh, I was able to get a shot like this. I like to uh, take pictures and videos of places that I'm at to save for stock footage. And uh, being in a plane like this, this small, it looked like I was looking out the window. I, I should have a picture on the screen there. Yeah. So it looks like I kind of stuck my head out and went like this outside, but that's not what I did. Uh, so that was, a, that was a first for me. And Victoria and Theo actually got on a plane like that not too long ago to come back from Texas, and apparently Theo loved it. He, he fell asleep as soon as they got on the plane, slept the entire way, and then woke up when they landed, and it was nothing but sunshine and rainbows for that little kid. Um, a couple other first we experienced, uh, Victoria's brother got engaged uh, last weekend, uh, and we got to be a part of that. He called us, and he said, hey, I would love to go on a double date with y'all, and it, this was his, his now fiance uh, was on the phone with him, and <laughs> Victoria just kind of gives me this look, and we, we agree to the double date, and then when we get off the phone, I was like, why did he ask us to do that? Because I'm the worst liar and worst secret keeper ever, and that's why Victoria looked at me. She's like, he, she's going to know. She's going to find out, because we're supposed to be the cover. That's, that's our reason we're there, is to go on a double date with them and, and to, to be a communication with them, and it was just it was bad. We went to dinner, and, and me and her brother talked about finances the whole time because he was nervous, and I was nervous, and everybody was nervous, and it was really awkward, but thankfully, I didn't spill the beans. I didn't hint at it or anything. She was totally surprised, and she said yes, so that was awesome. Uh, excited for them. But the last thing we got to do that was, that was a really cool first was we got to go to Super Summer, Arkansas. I, I had been wanting to go to this camp for a long time. When we first got here, uh, Super Summer had not split into two weeks yet. It was just still one week. Uh, and that point, Super Summer changed some things up. I see, I used to not be a huge fan of how short junior high week was compared to senior high week. But a, lot, a couple years ago, they changed that. They made it to where it was a lot more even of a disbursement, and they included more college students to come and help staff at this camp. And that's what I love about it is that people like me can invest in not only our students, but a lot of other students and college students as well. And so we try to get in and we couldn't get in because it filled up within a week. And then the next year, they split up into two weeks, but we were already committed to another camp. And finally, we got to go to the Super Summer and try it out. I'd been as a, as a college recruiter, but had never been as a staffer or student. And guys, I got to tell you, our students loved it. They uh, had a few of them tell me they liked it better than Colorado. And I was like, well, that's great because this camp's a lot cheaper. So <laughs> it was really good. But, you know, while we were at the camp, I, I had a conversation with a really good buddy of mine. He and I used to do ministry together in Northwest Arkansas, then he uh, became a state person guy. And uh, I was talking to him because I, I told him, you know, I was like, hey, you do know that First Baptist in Warren is looking for a student pastor. You know, I'd love for y'all to send somebody this way so I can kind of do ministry with them and, and we could do things together. Uh, and he looks at me and it just has this, this really sad look on his face. And he said, Dustin, there are currently 22 paid youth pastor positions open in the state of Arkansas and there's no one to fill them. And, and I said, no, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, there's 22, and they're at some incredible churches, and there's no one to fill them. Now, I, I understand asterisks. There are certain limitations to some of those jobs. For example, some guys need either a full-time position or you know, whatever they, they feel called to do or, or what they're doing, and I know location's sometimes a limiting factor, 
And I know some guys are single versus married, and some churches don't hire single, single youth pastors for, for good reason. But the thing is that there were 22 positions, and there's no one to fill them. And I asked him, I was like, why, why is that? And he said this, and I'll never forget it, and it's still burning in my head now. He said, we have not done a good job in raising up the next generation. And I thought about that a lot because this is something that's been on my heart for a while with uh, a conference I got to go to in January. Uh, it's called Cross for the Nations. Uh, my, my seminary uh, is a big contributor to that. The International Mission Board, North American Mission Board go and they have this big conference about missions where they try to, to uh, stir on college students to become a goer or sender, uh, whether they'll you know, spend part of their life overseas or uh, in a lost area of our nation, uh, or if they'll be a sender, somebody who... Uh, goes and supports them with prayer or finances or whatever it is that we, we do. Uh, and so, you know, I went to this conference and they kind of shared with us that, you know, a thousand missionaries have had to come home since 2015 from the International Mission Board. A thousand missionaries have had to come home and are no longer overseas sharing the gospel. And every year, 900 churches close their doors in our nation. Nine. 160 of those being in Arkansas. I was, I was at the state convention just a few months ago, and, and they were telling us, the church plant team, uh, that they have shifted a lot of their efforts to the Delta area because that's where the majority of churches are closing, and they're literally dying out. I mean, you have memberships that are just, that are just, that are dying, and there's no young people to fulfill those leadership roles or those positions, and so this this idea of not raising up the next generation, well, this is not limited to just Arkansas. This is a nationwide, a worldwide issue in that there's, there's all of these new leadership positions being opened and there's nobody to fill them. And, and guys, that's a problem. And so this morning, I wanted to talk to you all about the next generation. I want, I want us to, to look at this problem. I want us to look at why it's important. And I want us to look at how we can combat this because the fact that there's 22, I don't know if y'all heard me, 22 youth pastor positions open and there's nobody to fill them, that is heartbreaking to me. Now, I'm not saying that, that we need to stir up kids and youth in our ministry to fill those 22 positions. Not everyone's called to vocational ministry. But this is, this is a trend that's going beyond just vocational ministry. This is just leadership positions within the church. There are fewer and fewer deacons. There are fewer and fewer people that are serving. There are fewer and fewer people who are taking on ministries and running with them. There's so many people, especially in, in the millennial generation and Gen Z, that have become content with being a pew sitter and being served rather than going and serving in the church. So why is this important? Because God works beyond our generation. His plan and his will for our lives extends beyond current generations, and each generation has a role to play in his plan. This is, this is something that... that I've had in my heart for a while, but, but it really was stirred on after completing my Old Testament 1 and 2 class. I had the opportunity to take both of these classes back to back, and we essentially read through the Old Testament in 16 weeks. <laughs> and if y'all have ever seen the Old Testament, it's really, really big. And uh, we, I mean, I'm telling you, we, we went 99 miles an hour through a lot of this stuff. But here's what I'll tell you. I, I felt like there was a lot of fruit in reading the Old Testament or reading a larger chunk of Scripture in a, in a more, I guess, bigger setting because for me, I got to see a lot of incredible things that God was doing as the grand narrative of Scripture 
rather than just in small details. For example, I, I got to see this truth that God, when he works his plans out, especially in the Old Testament, he uses mentorship and discipleship and he uses generations in the past to lead away for generations in the future. We've talk, been talking a lot about this wandering in the desert series. We've talked a lot about the Israelites being led out of Egypt and wandering the desert and being in the spiritually dry season uh, how they've been multiplying and how this generation that's entering in the promised land is not the generation that was taken out of Egypt. It's a brand new one. I think it's incredible that God uses the works of past generation to lead the way for new generations. We see that all throughout Scripture and especially the Old Testament. If you ever read the Old Testament, look at, look at the way that God works. God doesn't, God a lot of times waits to do things with his people when another generation has, has passed. And that's not because he believes that that, that, that that generation was the wrong the wrong generation for the job, but rather his plan and specific purpose was for that timing, not for that one. And that generation still had a job to help lead the next. This is this, I know I'm, I'm probably speaking in circles, but uh, if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter three, you're gonna you're gonna kind of see what I'm talking about here. Um, this is kind of where this really stuck out to me the most. I, I was in my Old Testament one class, and have you have you ever read scripture and had something just pop at you, pop out at you really, really fast. Like as soon as you see that you're something like, oh, I got to underline that. I got to highlight that. I got to memorize that. This was, this was what it was for me in reading this. I've got, I've only got a couple verses, but I want to start at the beginning uh, of this, this idea in verse 21, chapter three, it says this, I commanded Joshua at that time, your own eyes have seen everything the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all kingdoms you're about to enter. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God fights for you. Here's what's going on. This kind of little little pretense. So we we are ending the near the the end of Moses's life. This is this is the last book before Joshua before Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. Moses knows this is the near the end of this life. This is after they faced other adversaries, and he's telling Joshua, "You have seen." What God has done with these two kings, look what he's about to do with you uh, in the promised land. So this, this idea of, that we're going to read later on, see, Moses already knows that Joshua is going to lead these people. Moses, Moses in no way is saying, okay, well, now I'm still in charge and you just do my bidding. This, this is, a, this is a, a direct indication to us that, that Moses understands and knows that the leadership of Israel is no longer his, but it's Joshua. And Joshua is somebody that, that Moses had been pouring into for the, for the duration of his life. Joshua was there with almost every major moment that Moses had with God during the Exodus. Joshua was there. Uh, Moses was pouring into Joshua. Moses was teaching Joshua. Moses was giving Joshua leadership roles. And now, at the end, Moses is giving over his leadership to Joshua. Verse 23, at the time I begged the Lord, Lord God, you've begun to show your greatness and your strong hand to your servant. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours? Please let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan, the good hill country and Lebanon. 26, but the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, that's enough. Do not speak to me again about this matter. Go to the top of Pishka and look to the west, north, south, and east and see it with your own eyes, for you will not cross the Jordan. Let me stop right there. So a lot of y'all know, we talked a little bit about this when, 
when Matt was preaching through a series is that, that because of the disobedience of the Israelites and because of the disobedience of Moses, Moses would not enter the promised land. So here's Moses trying to plead with God one more time. Hey, God, please, please, you've done all these incredible things. You, you've allowed all these things to happen. Please let me in. And, and God shuts that down. Like, have you ever had someone ask you something over and over again that gets really annoying and you're just ready to just, just like, stop it? Uh, that's basically what God, God did here. God shut him down hard. Um, but then God goes and says this, and this is really cool. And this is where, this is the verse 28 where I, I just underlined, I stopped what I did. I, I was like, yes, this is great. And it says this, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will cross overhead of the people and enable them to inherit this land that you will see. This is kind of where this main idea of, of how do we invest in the next generation? How do we commission them to be the church leaders of tomorrow? It comes from this, Deuteronomy chapter three. When we see God telling Moses to commission Joshua to encourage and strengthen him that he may lead his people and do what God had promised he would do and that's lead his people into the promised land. And so we see God do things like this countless times in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New I think of Paul and Timothy. I think of Jesus and the disciples. These are relationships and things that, that God uses to stir up new leaders within the church to lead in the next generation and what it means to be a Christ follower. And so this morning, I'm gonna talk a lot about this current generation that's growing up here and now, but I want you to understand this. You have a role and a duty to invest in the generations, not just that's coming up, but the generations that are here and now. For example, let's say you were somebody, you're a baby boomer. The, the generations that you are to invest in are not only those within your own generation, but the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the Gen Zs. So let's focus a little bit on Gen Z. That's who we're going to talk about this morning. But the things that I talk about, I don't want you to limit it to just our kids and just our students. I want you guys to apply these things to generations that are younger than you. And I want you to be investing in those around you and those younger than you. So if you're somebody who's 90 years old, I want you to be investing in somebody who's 80 years old. I want you to see this and see what God talks about with mentorship and discipleship. And I want you to be doing that with all generations, not just these. But the reason why I want to focus on Gen Z this morning is because these are the newer leaders. These are the ones that are straying away further from the church. And these are the ones that I personally have a little bit more experience with. So what about this next generation? This next generation is called Generation Z, Generation IY, generation, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that's the official name that they're called. Here's the first thing you have to understand. Gen Z are not millennials. Our students and our, not, and, and our, and our children in our ministries are not millennials. If, if, to give you all a little bit of context so you can see kind of the age difference, I'm one of the last years of millennials. I was born in 1994. Victoria was born in 1996, which means she's not a millennial. She's a Gen Z at the very beginning of it. So just to give you all a little bit of difference, if y'all are trying to figure out, okay, who's a millennial, who's a Gen Z, those younger than Victoria, Gen Z, those uh, my age or a little bit older than me are millennials. Make sense? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Gen Z. Uh, here's some kind of interesting things about them and then some things that are a little alarming that I, I feel like we really need to understand this morning. One, they have never known life without smartphones or the internet. This is a generation that has grown up with iPhones being a norm. Now, a, a little stipulation. 
With Victoria, for example, she's older. She remembers the Nokia brick. She remembers the time without smartphones. But for the majority of Gen Z, they've grown up with the internet. And they are everywhere. Gen Z makes up 25% of our population. They're independent. Um, this is mainly due because a lot of the, the, the parenting styles of Gen Xers and millennials have changed. It's no longer a lot of this helicopter parenting that, at least the study that I showed, read. It's more of this make your own decisions, be your own person sort of parenting, which has pros and cons. We're going to get to the cons here in a minute. But the, ind- the, the independency of this generation is a pro of that, where this generation has a lot more ownership with the things they do and who they are, and they are trusted to do a lot more things on their own. They're justice-minded, and they are aware of our broken world. This is a generation that knows terrorist actions to be almost a norm now. They've grown up around this. Things like 9-11 and things beyond that, like the Boston bombing and other stuff, have become a norm in their world. School shootings are something that that they see on the news daily. This is a generation that's growing up knowing that this world is broken, and they want to do something to fix it. They want to see justice done uh, in this world, and they want to see our world become a better place, and they want to be part of that. Take this information as you will. I wasn't sure if this was a pro or a con. I, I kind of have an interesting thought about it, though. There was a study done with what career path the Gen Z wants to take, and uh, they, they interviewed uh, students who lived in China, students who lived in Europe, and students who lived in the U.S. Students who live in China, the majority of them want to become astronauts, 26% to be precise, the biggest majority of kids that wanted one career, they all want to be astronauts. They want to go to the moon. They want to go to space. They want to work in aerodynamics and all this other stuff. <laughs> kids in Europe, 24.8% of them wanted to become YouTube sensations. And kids in the U.S., 26% wanted to become YouTube sensations. Now, I, I think that we can take that two ways. One, the people who are influencing our children, a lot of them are YouTube sensations. But I also believe that that our students want to become influencers. Now, whether that's in a good medium or bad medium, what we want to do here and now is we want to help them and direct them on how to become an influencer for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of themselves. Here are a couple of the negative things. They have been exposed to too much too fast. Because of the freedom with the internet and because of their independency, there's a lot of kids that have been exposed to things online that they should never be exposed to. And it is causing serious issues within our society as a whole. And it's starting with them as kids being exposed to things online that they should never, ever, ever have access to. They are more accepting of things the LGBT community does and are straying more and more uh, to that side of the demographic in the way they view marriage and the way they view relationships. They struggle with mental, mental illness more than any other generation before. I, I talked a little bit about uh, in here how uh, a, a, a average student today experiences the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And lastly, they are part of this thing I call the nuns phenomenon. Now, I, I didn't name that. Someone else did. And no, uh, The Rise of the Nuns is not a movie starring uh, Catholic nuns who are rising up to meet an occasion or whatever it is. Uh, the Rise of the Nuns is, is a phenomenon that a lot of uh, people who study generation trends uh, talk about in terms of the, there's a group of people coming up, the millennials, my generation, and Gen Z are classifying themselves as religious nuns. Here's what that means. It means that they may believe in God, but they want no affiliation with Christianity or any other label of religion. 
So they may believe in God or they may have a spiritual life, but they have no connection to the church, they have no connection to Jesus, and they do not want to bear his name. And that number has increased from 7% to 27% in just the last few years. There's an entire generation that's growing up that wants nothing to do with the church. They want nothing to do with Christianity. They want nothing to do with anything, so they call themselves a nun. They, They don't want anything to do with any sort of religious affiliation. So this is the generation. This is Gen Z. This is who they are. This is what... Uh, they're like, um, they are a really interesting generation, and I've loved getting to do ministry with them, and I've loved getting to see them grow because they are somebody who, who are influencers. They love to run with things. They love having responsibility, but, but they have their challenges, just like every generation does. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to go through three very simple very practical things we can do to invest in the next generation, to raise up new leaders, to stir on uh, the next generation, to lead the church as God has commissioned us to do, like he did with Moses and Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And so it's going to be very practical this morning. We're going to explore different parts of Scripture and different relationships we see in Scripture. But I encourage you, this isn't just applying to Gen Z This is applying to other generations as well. So here's the first one, and I kind of put these two together. We want to pray and encourage the next generation. The reason why I want to start with prayer is that we need to pray for the next generation. We need to pray that God would stir up their hearts. We need to pray that God would reveal himself to them. We need to pray that God would move in this generation and do something he's not done in past generations. But just like Deuteronomy chapter three says, and where where God tells Moses to encourage Joshua, we need to encourage our students as well, our next generation. So when I think of praying and encouraging in relationships in the Bible, I think of Paul and Timothy. If you've ever, if you've ever needed an encouraging letter to read in God's word, First and Second Timothy is where it is at. It is an incredibly encouraging passage of scripture, incredibly uplifting, and I love seeing the relationship that Paul and Timothy have with one another. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2 through 7, starting here. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you my prayers day and night, remembering your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm going to stop right here. I, I, I hope and pray that you are praying for people uh, that are in other generations like this. I, I, I hope and I pray that when you pray for others, when you pray for those who are Gen Xers, you pray for those who are in the millennial generation, you pray for our students and our children, that you pray like this, that you thank God for them. That you, that you pray for them and you remember them in your prayers day and night. When I pray for our students, I, I don't always pray like this, but I need to and I want to. I, look at the words that Paul uses. Paul, Paul, Paul is, is so sincere when he prays to Timothy. This is somebody that he had invested in for years that he developed a relationship with after his conversion to becoming a Christian. And he's training up to be the next leader, the church leader of tomorrow. And the way Paul talks about him and the way that Paul prays about him is so encouraging to me. As as somebody who's in ministry, my my hope and prayer is that that y'all, you would be praying for others like this. That you would remember them daily, 
day and night that you would pray for the next generation. That whenever you pray for your family, when you pray for those around you, when you pray for your kids, that you would pray for other kids too. Pray for the kids that walk through our doors on Wednesday night. Pray for the kids that are not here. Pray for the kids in Warren and Hermitage school districts and pray, pray that these kids would know who Jesus is and that adults would enter their life that would speak truth to them and clarity and pray with them and invest in them and encourage them. Verse five says this, I recall your sincere faith that you first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice now and I am convinced it is in you also. Man, I, I love that. That's so, imagine being someone like Timothy, really trying to learn what it means to be a pastor, to be a church leader and having your mentor send you something like this. I, if, if I was Timothy, I would be jumping up and down with joy to see that my mentor notices these things in me and says these encouraging and uplifting things to me. Look, verse six, therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. How often do we blame the next generation for our problems? How often do we focus on the negative aspects of our next generation rather than encouraging them in the things that are good? Rather than, 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 than praying that God would, that God would stir up an affection for him? How often do we, do, we, do we send encouraging words like this to our kids, even to our own kids in our home? And for those who don't have kids, how often are you speaking to children or people younger than you like this? I mean, I, I'll be honest. I mean, there, there are times that, that, that I'm yelling at kids versus speaking encouragement like this, but I'm telling you, you may not get to see the fruits of these words or the way that you would speak encouragement uh, to the next generation and being the leaders of tomorrow, but I can tell you that it's felt. I'll, I'll, t- I'll share with you this. The, the, the most rewarding things that I get being in ministry here are sometimes the cards that people will send me in my office or, or the, the words people will tell me as, as I'm just walking around. I recently had uh, somebody who uh, sent a card to all the staff members, just, just an encouraging word. And I could tell you that that was in a season of where I just felt overwhelmed. I felt drowned. I felt like I wasn't doing well in, in, in the things that God had called me to do. But that letter was so encouraging to me and just helped lift up my own spirits as a leader in the church. Imagine if, if more of us would do that with, with other generations too. So we can pray and we can encourage the next generation. The next thing we can do, this is probably going to be where we're going to spend the most time, is we need to lead the next generation. Now, this is the kind of relationship that Moses and Joshua had. Uh, Joshua was led by Moses. Moses uh, spent time with him. Moses taught him. Moses encouraged him. Moses showed him what it meant to be a leader instead of just expecting it to happen. See, Moses led by example. Whenever Moses was going to do things, whenever he was meeting with God, whenever he was, he was talking to the people, whenever he was uh, talking with Aaron on, on deciding things, Joshua was there through the planning and through the talking with the Lord. And, and even when it came to the Ten Commandments, Joshua had a role in that. Joshua was there and he got to see what Moses did because Moses led not by telling him what to do, but showing him what to do. Moses taught Joshua how to live and how to be a leader. And I firmly believe that a lot of the things that we see that are, that are going on, the fact that we've got 22 
open youth pastor positions and no one to fill them, the fact that there are a thousand missionaries that are being sent home in the last two years, the fact that we have 900 churches a year on average that close their doors is because we've not taught the next generation well how to serve, how to leave, or not lead, how to be in the word and pray and how to give. I, just to be totally transparent with y'all, I didn't learn how to tithe until I was a junior in college because in my entire life, no one ever taught me how to do it. No one ever taught me what it meant to give 10%. No one ever taught me that it was a stepping out in faith. No one ever taught me that it was, it was a way to keep us connected or a way for us to keep our reliance on the Lord rather than relying on our own financial comforts. And as a college student, that is something I had never been taught. And I was in church since I was eight years old. I didn't learn how to read God's word for myself in studying the scriptures and underlining and highlighting and how to reference things and how to look at things, how to really engage God's word until I was well into high school. And I didn't learn how to share the gospel until then too. Now, am I saying that that means that my children's ministry was terrible and didn't do their job or my youth pastor focused too much on games? No, that's not it. Because they didn't do those things. They did great. But the reality is, I think sometimes a lot of us are very quick to say, read your Bible and pray, but are not quick to do that ourselves and to show our kids, how do we do that? To really sit down with them and show them, look, this is how I read scripture. Here's how I underline. Here's how I memorize it. And, and I want you to do the same too. One thing Victoria shared with me is that uh, her dad used to force her to take notes in church, and she hated it. She, was, she, she absolutely despised it, and now Victoria is an avid note taker and is able to, to retain information so much better because of the discipline that her dad instilled with her into her as a kid. And I know that, that for, for our kids, like we're, the, they're going to know how to read Scripture and how to write notes and how to pray, but not because I'm telling them how to do it, but because I want them to see my wife and I do that at home. Now, the reality is there's a lot of kids that, that enter our ministry on Wednesday nights they don't have that at home. They don't have parents who are guiding and teaching them how to read scripture. They don't have parents who are teaching them how to pray and praying together. They don't have, have people, influences within their home that are doing those things. So where do they get it? Here on Wednesday nights. And if we don't have other adults that are, that are showing them how to do that here, they're not gonna do that at home. If we make church and we make other things optional, in their life, we make those things negotiable, then they're gonna make it negotiable when they grow up too. And so church, we have a duty and a responsibility to lead, not by just telling our kids what to do or telling the next, next generation, this is how you do it, but to lead ourselves and to serve this next generation. And lastly, we need to lead by spending time with the next generation. There's one thing, uh, there's, a, there's a, a lot of fruit in leading by example in, in teaching them, but there's also a lot of fruit in just spending some extra time with the next generation. I, I can tell you that, that some of the most fruitful conversations I've had with those younger than me have not come from teaching sessions on a Wednesday night. It's came from time outside of Wednesday nights that I've spent with kids, whether it be students in our student ministry, kids in our kids' ministry, or college students at the BCM. Spending time with the next generation is one of the most influential ways you can make an impact in church leadership in the future is by spending intentional time with them, asking them, hey, how's your week going? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? How can I, how can I better be a leader to you?
Lead by spending time, lead by example, and lead by teaching. And the last is uh, what uh, God tells Moses to do, and that is to commission Joshua. We need to send the next generation. And where do we see this? We see this with Jesus and his disciples. Turn with me to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I know all, a lot of y'all, if you've ever been in the church circle long enough, you know exactly what I'm about to read, but I'm going to read it here. Uh, verse 16, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I love what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is sending out his disciples, commissioning them to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and share the gospel. How many of us are sending out the next generation to be church leaders? How many of us are giving our, our next generation people opportunities to lead and to serve and to learn what it means to lead the next generation rather than being served by the next generation? Here's what I mean by that. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus commissioned them to go and to do what they had been taught to do. And with us and what with Moses did with Joshua, we need to be sending out and doing the same with the next generation. We need to not be telling our college students, hey, you need to go share the gospel. We need to be sending them out, hey, we've taught you to do this. Here's an opportunity uh, in Brazil. Go and do it. And we're with you. We're going to support you. We're going to pray with you. We're going to do whatever. But we're going to send you out to go and to do this because this is the season of life you're in. This is what you've been called to do. So go and do it. How many of us are giving, uh, giving opportunities for those in the next generation to lead and to teach if they feel called to do so? I remember one of the most beneficial things my, my youth pastor did uh, when I felt I called a ministry is he said, okay, well, I'm gonna give you opportunities to do it. He helped me in, in praying specifically for students in our ministry. He allowed me to preach on a few occasions. Now, granted, he should have vetted me a little bit better before I was allowed to preach because I said some pretty bad things the first time I ever preached. Like, y'all, it was, mm -mm, it was bad. If, I, if a student ever comes up to me and says, I feel led to be a pastor someday, I'm gonna say, okay, well, if you're gonna preach the word, this is how you do it, I'm gonna vet your notes so bad so whenever you get up there, you're not gonna say the terrible things I did as a 16-year-old on stage. Uh, and we had an incredible opportunity, not even just a, a month ago, to send out uh, Lauren and Shelton and Elliot, the next generation to go and share the gospel in a place that doesn't know who Jesus is. Y'all, I, I shared with this on the mission trip, but I'm gonna share with you now. I hope and my, I pray that they are not the last couple that leaves here to go and make disciples of all nations in the next 10 years. I hope and pray that more people like Shelton and Lauren will be called out and sent out by our church, encouraged and equipped to go and share the gospel. But that doesn't happen if we're not raising up the next generation. That doesn't happen if we're not investing in them and that doesn't happen if we're not sending them out. Rather than being comfortable where they are and, and being comfortable in, in, in the things that they know, rather encouraging them to do the things that God has called them to do, whether the, even if they're scary, even if they are far away, but to do these things because God has commissioned us to go make disciples of all nations. And all nations meaning here in Warren, here in the United States, and all over the globe. So here's my last question to you. This is kind of a, my last overall thought is, what are you doing to invest in the next generation? It's a really 
Simple question, but, but one I believe is really important to ask because without people like you investing in the next generation, these numbers will continue to get worse. Missionaries will continue to be sent home. Churches will continue to close their doors and churches will continue to not have people in leadership to lead in the next generation. As much as I talk about Joshua, Joshua, uh, Joshua made a mistake whenever he was leading. In Judges, it talks about how Joshua didn't teach and guide his leadership as well as Moses did. And what happened was after Joshua passed away, many of the Israelites forgot who God was. Church, I don't, I don't want that to happen with us at Emmanuel. And I don't think it will because I believe that we have people in place, people in leadership that are, that are training and equipping us to lead the next generation. But I can tell you this, that each and every one of us have a role in investing in the next generation and we have a duty and a responsibility to do just that. Because here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus tells us that, that, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. He tells us that we're not alone. Jesus has given us what we needed to invest and reach this next generation. And it's not more technology. It's not, uh, it's not adding in more staff members that have roles like mine. It's, it's praying and leading and sending, much like Joshua did with Moses. It's, it's an art that has been done for generations and generations. It's this idea of mentorship and discipleship. And it's something that Jesus did here while he was on earth. While Jesus was on earth, he invested in 12 men who went to change the church. So my question for you this morning is, what are you doing to invest in the next generation? Are you praying for the next generation? Are you leading the next generation? Are you sending out and equipping the next generation? And if you're not, how are you gonna change that? Now I'm not saying that every one of you now needs to be involved in children's ministry and youth ministry. Uh, I would love, uh, we always are welcoming more volunteers, but goodness gracious, we, we can't have more volunteers than we have students. But here's what this does mean. This does mean that there are people in this church and in this community that need someone to mentor them, to disciple them, and you may be the person to do just that. See, Jesus, when he died for our sins, when he died for us, he didn't die just for the current generations that's there. He died for all generations that all would know him. And he uses people like you and me to reach them, to show them what it means to be a Christ follower, how to read the word, how to love Jesus as we love Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. I, I, I want everyone to stand up as, as TJ comes up and, and plays our invitations. I want to invite you guys to, to pray. Pray for the next generation. I want you to pray specifically if, if God has anyone on your heart Someone you, you, you've been praying for, whether it be a student or a child or someone younger than you, pray, how can I invest in them more? And if you don't know somebody like that, if, you, if you're not investing in the next generation in any capacity, I'd encourage you to talk to one of us or pray, God, how, how can I invest in the next generation? Who would you bring into my life that I may invest or how can I become a part of someone else's? If you... If I talk, talk about this relationship with Jesus and talk about what he's asked us to do, and if you don't know who this Jesus person is, I'd love to talk to you about him and what he's done for me, what he's done for so many others. If you need to talk about salvation or baptism or joining the church, this is your time to do that. If you just need prayer or 
and encourage me. This is a time for that as well. This, this altar is open and I'm gonna pray and then, and then we'll, we'll do that. Um, dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for today. God, I just, I thank you for faithful men and women, God, who have laid down their lives for the next generation. God, that they may know you, that they may trust you, that they may lead with you. God, I pray that you would stir up leaders within the next generation, God, that they would be the ones to lead the church. God, that they would fulfill these positions within our state, these 22 open positions. God, that they would go to being just leaders within the church. God, deacons, servants, ministry leaders, children's church workers. God, those, those who run security, those who run sound, those who run do all these other things that help in the church, those who share the gospel in their community. God, those who plant churches. God, I pray that you would stir up the hearts of our leaders, or our kids and our, and our students in this church now. And God, I pray that you would help us as a body of believers to invest in the next generation. God, whether the next generation to us is Gen Z, millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers. God, whoever it is, God, I pray that we would invest in them. God, that we would be obedient to what you've asked us to do and that we would have relationships with others like Moses had with Joshua, like Naomi had with Ruth, like Paul had with Timothy and like Jesus had with his disciples. God, we thank you for those who have invested in us at a young age that we are the men and women we are today because of these adults. God, they may never get the credit. They may never know the kind of impact they had, but they had an impact. And God, we thank you for them and their faithfulness. And God, for those generations past who've invested in the church and may never be remembered, God, we celebrate them. We celebrate you. God, we pray that ultimately you are glorified in these relationships and everything that we do. God, I pray during this time of invitation, if there's anyone who needs to come forward and, and pray, God, to make a decision, uh, God, who needs encouragement, God, I pray that they would do that. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you do. It's your son's son, let me pray. Amen. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 1030. Our small groups start at 930. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.